Hello. Thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. And I'm here today with Pat Newberry, Vice President of Clinical Services for SAP and Intellogix, formerly known as Team TSI. Pat joins me to talk about quality measures. Most specifically, we will chat about the differences between the SNF QRP and five-star measures and shed some light on the claims-based measures. Welcome, Pat. Hi, thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate being asked to join you today. Well, thank you. Let's dive right in. What is the fundamental difference between the SNF QRP quality measures and the five-star measures? Yeah, I think the primary difference in trying to understand these two types of measures, because they're both called quality measures, is whether it's the quality measures that we've been used to seeing, the long stay and the short stay that you see in CASPER and Care Compare that are part of the five-star, and the QRP quality measures is the resident or patient population that is included in each one of the measures and the purpose behind the measures being created. So to understand this a little bit better, I wanted to have just a brief history, just kind of bringing everybody along. And we all know the OBRA, which is the Omnibus Reconciliation Act or the Nursing Home Reform Act from back in 1987, started us on this path of increased oversight, looking at surveyors and then developing that MDS. From that MDS, we began to see quality indicators and then quality measures from that. And it's really initially that we're looking at these to look at what types of processes are going on in the facility. What kind of residents are in your facility and how are you handling them over periods of time? So we all got used to working with quality measures in about the early 2000s. We started seeing the five-star program being released using these quality measures. They begin to add in some claim measures as well. And the five-star measure was that first time that the public was able to actually look at what's going on in nursing homes and being able to start comparing one nursing home to another. So that's where we started. In 2010, we had a legislative act called the Affordable Care Act. The purpose of this Affordable Care Act and what CMS was charged with doing was to start comparing the care being provided across all different continuums to look at the effectiveness and the efficiency. When this research was started, the conclusion that they came up with was that there was such a wide variety in assessment tools that it was impossible to measure the different types of post-acute providers against each other. At this same time, the CARE tool was piloted, and that was a research that was done across all of the continuum as well. I remember having been part of that pilot early on in the SNF, and that actually has created some of the basic questions that have formed the QRP quality measures. For example, Section GG, if you go back and look at the old CARE tools, you'll see that they're very similar questions. So what came out of this was that they couldn't actually give us any measurements or couldn't compare post-acute providers. So the legislature issued in 2014 another act called the Impact Act. And this act charged CMS now with developing a set of core quality measures, which are now called the QRP or Quality Reporting Program Quality Measures. 
and that those measures could be used consistently across all post-acute providers. And the population that they're looking at are your fee-for-service Medicare patients. In other words, your traditional Medicare patients. And so for the SNFs, the skilled nursing facilities, they're looking at MDS. In the home care, it was OASIS. In the inpatient rehab facility, it's an assessment called the EARTH-PI. And in the long-term care acute hospitals, it's called the LCDS. It's the long-term care acute data set. So each provider had a group of measures initiated and the questions were the same. So each one of these post-acute providers started with a different set of measures. And over the years, these measures were added to each one of them so that we're beginning to see consistent measures that we're seeing today, but you're seeing the same ones being used, whether it's in a home care for Oasis or in the EarthPi or in the MDS. The areas that they're looking at, they have the same measures and the same definitions. And the areas are including falls, skin integrity, medication reconciliation, functional status, transferring of health information, and resource use. So what was the purpose? The purpose was down the road looking at outcome versus cost to determine optimal settings, being the most efficient, still providing the quality of care, where would be the best place for residents when they are leaving the hospital to enter into the post-acute world. So when you're looking at these quality measures, they look very similar. The QMs that we're using, the long stay and short stay measures look very similar in name to the QRP QMs. So it's important to know what the differences are. So in the quality measures that you're seeing that are traditional quality measures, we're looking at both PPS and OBRA assessments, and you're looking at short stay, 100 days or less in the building, or long stay measures for all residents, and of course, there are some exclusions. When you're looking at the QRP quality measures, you are only looking at patients who are Medicare Part A fee-for-service, traditional Medicare. And these measures only use the PPS assessments. The time frame for the QRP quality measures is also limited to the start of a Medicare stay through to the end of the Medicare stay. So, Remember, the traditional quality measures, as a resident stays in the building, they might transition from a short-stay measure to into the long-stay measure, depending on how many days they've been in the building, where the QRP quality measures are very limited to just that Medicare stay or that episode of care. Both of these measures have claims measures built in, and they are a little bit confusing. The important thing to remember for claims measures is that the data that is being used by CMS, it is using both hospital and SNF claims. There are both sets of claims measures have exclusions and risk adjustment factors based on resident characteristics that come from the MDS, but the actual measures themselves are from the claims. I feel like the claims-based measures are confusing, and facility staff don't realize the role that they play in them, actually, particularly the Medicare spending per beneficiary and how the SNF stay impacts the SNF QRP measure. Can you explain a little bit more how this measure impacts SNFs? Yeah, thank you so much for asking, because it is really a confusing measure. 
When you think about their claims measures, they use SNF claims, they use hospital claims. And the first thought is there's nothing really that we can do about them if they're using hospital claims. So let's use the Medicare spending per beneficiary as an example. And that you'll see it listed as the MSPB, Medicare spending per beneficiary, QRP claims. So what is the purpose of this particular one? So I'm gonna use this as an example to show how these claims measures do impact you and what you can do to help impact how your facility is measured. So the purpose of this particular measure is related and it was developed because of the rising cost of Medicare and the variations in spending from post-acute providers across all the different kinds of settings. So the initial goal of this was to measure to improve efficiency in care, and very importantly, to improve care coordination from the hospital discharge through all of the post-acute providers for a particular patient. So that's what the ultimate goal of this particular measure is. So for the SNF, what it's measuring is all the medical use within an episode of care, and important to know, for 30 days after the end of that episode of care. So what that means is I have a treatment period, and that's the day they come in on Medicare to the day that that Medicare is discharged. And then I have an associated service period, and that is for the 30 days after the end of the Medicare stay. So everything that happens within that period of time, all the cost associated is used in this calculation. So when I look at the cost, what is included in here? It's really all Part A and Part B claims, both hospital and the SNF, and Part B from physicians and DME and all of the different components, everything that's used to take care of this particular patient for that time period that we described. There are, of course, some exclusions, and there are some things that are beyond the control of the SNF, things like planned hospitalizations, routine screening, People with pre-existing conditions, for example, someone with rheumatoid arthritis who may be on a biologic. So those are some exclusions that they've moved out of this particular group of measures. The other thing is, if this resident, for the 90 days before the start of that Medicare stay, if they were enrolled in a managed care or something other than Medicare, then that resident, for purposes of this calculation, they're taken out. CMS tried to eliminate everything that would be an outlier or something that could artificially inflate the cost. But it's important to know that everything else is included in here. So for example, if somebody went to the emergency room while they were in your, so they were on Medicare for three days, they went to the emergency room and they came back, whatever services and charges that occurred for that emergency room visit, including the transports, will be included in this cost. So it's really an all-inclusive. And it's important to remember the 30 days after. We'll talk about that in a minute. So when we're looking at how this is measured, what they've done is what they call the numerator. Looking at the stays, they look at how many stays there were, and then what did the facility spend, so all of the claims measures, based on what was expected to be spent, so they compare what was spent to what was expected. The expected comes from what the conditions of the resident, the diagnosis, the characteristics, the treatments that were provided. So all of that factors into it. From that number, 
what it's compared to is a national median. So what comes out of all that? You'll see it sounds really strange. So let me simplify it for you. When you look in care compare for this measure, you typically are going to see two numbers. The first one is how many episodes in the 24 month period that this measure is looking at. So it's a 24 month look. And then the second number is going to be somewhere around one. If that number is less than one, 0.85, for example, that's what you see. That's called your Medicare score. And what you're going to see if it's less than one, then you're spending based on what you spent and what was expected that you would spend compared to the national median is less than the national median. If your number is higher than a one, then you've actually spent more than the national median. So what you want to look at in your number is if you are higher than a one, you want to step back and take a look at what's been going on with your residents and to see if on average over the period of two years, is there some process you can tighten down and take a look at? Well, that leads me to my next question, Pat, and that is how can our listeners improve their claims-based measures, specifically this claims-based measure, the Medicare spending per beneficiary? Yeah, I I think there's a couple of things that you can do. And again, you know, the first thought is, well, I can't control that. Well, I think all of us have been working really, really hard on our rehospitalization measures. And it's very similar. They're claims-based measures, but how can you improve them? So some of the things that we're going to talk about will be applicable, very specific to the Medicare spending per beneficiary, but also the other claims measures, successful discharge to community preventable rehospitalizations. So here are some of the key things to look at. So from the front end, before that resident ever comes into the building, the question you want to ask yourself as a patient, you want to ask yourself, do you have all of the documentation related to the hospital stay? We all know that sometimes we just go ahead and bring them on in and we're going to try to get everything we can but we're going to do our own assessments the minute they hit the door. So sometimes you don't think about how important that information is. Why do you want to do that? Because you want to make sure you're ensuring, number one, the stability of the patient so that there's no unexpected return. Every time that resident has to have a test or they have to go back for something, that all is included. The cost of all this is included. So you want to make sure you really know what that patient is going to provide, what's going to happen with that patient when they come into the building. Typically what we see and what we're looking at is if you see residents going back or patients going back in the first two to three days of their admission from the hospital, typically that's an indication that the resident wasn't particularly stable when they came to you. They may not have been stable enough to even have been admitted in the first place. If you're seeing your discharges more in that day three to day seven range, then very often what has happened here when you do your root cause analysis is you're going to determine that there are some key information you didn't get from the hospital. So one of the biggest things is to try to know what's going on with that patient and having everything ready and prepared before they come in the building or at least within a very short period of time when they do get into the building. And it's to prevent physician visits unexpectedly or having to go back to the hospital or doing things that you weren't planning on doing. During the stay, 
and this goes for any of these claims measures, but during the stay, you want to really see what, take a look at your facility assessment that you have to do. Look at the kinds of residents and making sure you can manage in-house whenever possible, because the more you can manage in-house, of course, the less it's going to cost than if you have to send them to the ER or send them for an, an observation stay. So, you know, that's the main thing that you want to look at with that is really take a peek at what you can do in-house. Now, one of the things and a little bit about this discharging to the ER, they end up going to the hospital and they come back and you're thinking, okay, we're starting a new stay. One of the things to know in this measure is that they will continue gathering all that data until you have gone eight days. If they have discharged the hospital, there has to be eight more days before they would start it as a new episode. So if I was in the hospital, either as an observation or as an inpatient, and I come back in five days, all of that still goes into your Medicare spending per beneficiary. You don't start a new stay until at least eight days has passed. So that's one of the criteria coding to remember. So manage in-house whenever possible. Discharge planning. One of the things, if you remember what I said, is that it's from the day they leave, that next phase that you're looking at, the associated service period lasts from the day they discharge until 30 days. So for this measure, anything that happens in there, you're going to have put into your measure of your spending per beneficiary. And it's certainly a lot better to pay for home health or have that cost associated in there than it would be to have a couple of ER visits. So when you're doing your discharge planning, this is nothing new to everybody on this call. Start prior to admission. Know what's going to happen, what that patient's plan is, and start making your preparations the minute they hit the door. You know, again, you got to remember for this measure, that calculation includes everything that happens for that 30-day at the end. And the other measures are the same. If I'm looking at rehospitalization, you know, you've got to watch them for 30 days. So what are some of the things you can do once you have discharged the resident? This was, an, I think, an old technique we did a long time ago when we looked at being able to bring somebody back in if things happen within the first 30 days. That's that transfer rule. Keep in contact with that patient when they discharge, that Medicare patient. Keep in contact with them and keep communication for 30 days. See if you can head off unnecessary visits to the ER or unnecessary treatments that are being done and by giving advice or talking to them or even bringing them back in again into your skilled nursing facility. So those are the things that you can do to kind of manage the cost of all this. Your goal ultimately would be to get down at or below the national median with the, what it's costing you for the care of that resident. This is really great information, Pat. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Well, I do think just a couple of thoughts for what's going on in the future state and what is down in the future. You know, a lot of this we were already going to be seeing, but as we all know, the COVID pandemic, which has impacted all of you so tremendously, put a lot of things on hold. And once the pandemic has been determined to be over, of course, that may be a while yet because now we're seeing that new surge in COVID cases reoccurring. But once the pandemic has been declared officially over, CMS will be issuing some new information and some new tools. 
What CMS has seen with the research that was done using the CARE tool pilot and what they've used and implemented in the QRP quality measures, the data sets, they are going to be looking at expanding on that. And it's going to be called the SPADES, which is a whole new set of comprehensive assessment questions and areas that are consistent, again, across all post-acute providers. So that's going to be coming down the pike. I know there's been a couple of webinars by different folks on the spades and what to expect. I think that would be a really good thing to begin to listen to now so that you're not surprised. You're prepared when this happens, this additional set. And we're going to see from that an additional set of QRP measures. So these QRP measures that we're looking at right now, this is not the end of it. We have a lot more to come down the road. It's just been put on hiatus until the pandemic is over. So that's our future. We're going to have an updated MDS. It's going to include a lot more pieces of information. We're going to see a lot more focus on medication reconciliation. We've seen a little bit. We're going to see a little bit more. We're going to see some additional item sets related to mental health and cognition. And so be looking for those. And one of the biggest things you can do right now is just to make sure that your assessment skills are up to date. I think one of the big areas that you want to make sure you're focusing on, which of course we all are now anyway, and that's the interviews and making sure that the people that are interviewing your residents and patients are very skilled in interviewing. That's going to be a, a big factor going forward as well. Thank you for that information, Pat. It seems like change is the one thing that's constant in long-term care. I'd like to say thank you for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. So thank you. Thank you all so much. And I do want to say how much I appreciate all of caregivers out in the field and taking care of the residents through all of this. They're true heroes and certainly anything that we can do to help make things a little bit easier for them. That's, that's our goal. So thank you again for asking me. Sure. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for NACs and nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NAC Chat Podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash a pack-in.